Welcome to the Vancouver True Crime Podcast. I want to share a case with you today that I find very troubling. It's about a beautiful woman named Tamara Thompson who moved to Vancouver Island as a young woman. Tamara was a very beautiful woman. She had the most gorgeous, bright smile I've ever seen. Her smile looked like it could light up a room. She was described as sweet, innocent, kind of naive. Maybe, as her friends describe her, maybe a woman that can be easily manipulated. And like most modern women of our age, She went on a dating website, Plenty of Fish. And unfortunately, she met a real creep who turned out to be a serial killer who pled guilty for the brutal murder and torture of three different men. One of that she herself witnessed. There was an investigation. Her friends also were interviewed by police. There was a major crime investigation, a homicide investigation. They told Tamara she had nothing to worry about because there was so much evidence stacked against him. And he pled guilty, so she didn't even have to testify. Her safety was of no concern. But yet, she went missing. Her friends, on two different occasions, asked for a missing person investigation, which were flatly refused. So, what happened? Where is Tamara? And why is no one looking for her? So this case is perplexing. A woman that's part of a very major criminal case goes missing. And from what I can understand from speaking with her friends, there's been no investigation in her disappearance. I posted three different posts about her on my Instagram page and Tamara was pretty active. She was an active participant on the Dragon Boat team. She was part of a walking club and she was also studying horticulture at Camusen College in Victoria. One of the things that are kind of perplexing to me is that she disappeared in a time when she just broke up with a relationship and she was almost like in between residences and her close friends were also kind of in transition. So when they didn't speak with her or talk to her, they just 
thought, you know, people get busy and sometimes people get out of touch and eventually, you know, she'll contact them again. The timeline of this case is really hard to establish because these events happened approximately about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, time has a way of making things kind of go down a rabbit hole and disappearing. She had an active Facebook page, which I can't locate, which I wish I could, because it would give me some clues about her, you know, some of her activities, and maybe her last post could, you know, represent kind of like a timestamp. Um, on my last post, I reached out, I asked people, if anyone knows her, you know, please contact me, because every little piece is important to me. And someone did contact me. And from that post, they told me that she actually rented a basement suite from their family. And she lived in this basement suite for two years and she was living with a man. And so f they contacted that man who was her ex. And from what I understand, what her estimated age, she would probably be about 49 years old today if she was around. So this is going to be an ongoing podcast and I'm going to keep chipping away at it. But, you know, there, this, this one's very perplexing. It's very strange. And it's strange that there's been no investigation. So some of the posts or the comments on the post. I said, well, what if the police have hidden her in witness protection? Well, I think she would have told somebody in her circle, like, hey, I'm going in witness protection, say goodbye, or something like that. But also, too, she wasn't a witness in a trial. They didn't need her. They kept saying that. And this is what, what her friends keep emphasizing, that she had nothing to worry about. Well, she's not around to tell us what happened. And judging by the brutality of the murders that this Darcy committed, it would be safe to assume that maybe some of these people probably saw her as a loose end. These are assumptions, of course. So what I'm going to do is let's focus on what we can prove. And what we can prove is this, is that uh, speaking with her friends, there's provable ties between her and Darcy. You see that she put a truck in her name that Darcy drove and got into a big accident with. He hit a commissioner, a security guard, and the truck ended up smashing through um, a furniture store window. Her friend told me that she went with Tamara to get the truck out of her name. And her friend was part of these events and also did interviews with a homicide detective. So there's no doubt 
that her ties to Darcy, a serial killer, and God, what about the murders that we don't know about? So there, that is deni undeniable. Apparently Darcy was a really heavy cocaine user and when he used these drugs, he went really crazy. Tamaro didn't do drugs, but apparently Darcy tried his hardest to get her into drugs and cocaine specifically. So let's uh, recap. Tamara Thompson, she had no family. Both her mother and father passed away. She, she was originally from the interior province of Vernon and Cranbrook. So when she moved to the island, she had absolutely no family, but she had a close circle of friends. Her uh, couple of these friends were witness to these events and supported her as these things were going on, including meeting with police, the truck that was put in her name, and trying to help Tamara untangle this mess. Tamara went missing in a state of transition. After Darcy, it seems like she had a series of relationships. And you could imagine, after witnessing a brutal murder, you probably were, can you imagine that you probably weren't at your best at your mental health. Traumatized, you probably had post-traumatic stress. These are assumptions, but it's a, these are safe assumptions. And she had a series of relationships afterwards that were um, not stable. So when she was in between residents, after breaking up with a, another relationship, is about the period of that her friends believe that she went missing. So she was in a, a state with no fixed address. Tamara also did have some mental health issues and she was on disability. And I did get a name of a social worker, which I am going to try my best to locate. So she had ties to the community. She was on disability. She was receiving checks. She had a social worker. She was going to college. She was active in a walking club. She was on a dragon boat team. And she was social with her friends. When her friends noticed that she wasn't around anymore and that she was also a witness of the event. So people keep commenting saying, well, what if she's in witness protection? Well, one of her friends was as much as a witness as her. So if, if they felt that Tamara was in danger, then this other woman would have been in danger. So if you understand what I'm trying to point out here, if Tamara was put in witness protection, let's say hypothetically that did happen, they would have offered the same protection to this other woman who was equally part of the these events so to speak so i hope that makes sense so when this woman on two occasions went to the rcmp that also knew about all of this stuff the darcy the murders 
the all these events what they said to her was the RCMP are not mandated to look for random people of the general public well Tamara wasn't some random person Tamara was a person that unfortunately got involved with a very dangerous person that murdered three different people one that she witnessed and then she disappears so two times she contacted them and two times she was denied and they also try to say well you're not family in the next podcast i'm going to break down the legalities of missing person cases and and what what the actual mandate is for launching a missing persons case and you don't have to be family to file a missing person case against somebody but we'll go into that in the next podcast so like i said because the timeline of this case is really hard to establish and i'm getting little pieces each day by talking to people and witnesses and people that know her I'm going to do a, this is going to be an ongoing series. So hopefully we'll be able to find some answers. So Darcy Kovacs, personally, I've never heard of this guy before. And I think one of the reasons why his name is not really well known to the general public, because his crimes occurred around the same time as the whole Willie Picton trial. So it was heavily overshadowed by the monstrous crimes of Willie Picton, the pig farm killer that he admitted to killing over 50 women. So Darcy Kovacs kind of got overshadowed. So Darcy Kovacs was sentenced by Justice James Williams in Victoria, B.C. Supreme Court for killing Kenneth Kenneth Robinson. So Kenneth Robinson is the murder that Tamara witnessed. So Tamara wasn't involved in the killing. She was misled. And she thought she was going to a party with Kovacs and some other friends. And it was a setup to kill Kenneth Robinson. So Kenneth Robinson, a 45-year-old homeless man from Nanaimo, Kenneth Allen Leesk, 44, from Powell River. Kovacs was handed 11 consecutive sentences for the murder of Campbell River Luke Delude, whom Kovacs met while in jail. Kovacs, 40 at the time of his sentence, pled guilty on August 30th, 2012. Two counts of second-degree murder, one count of manslaughter for Delude's death. He was originally facing three counts of first-degree murder. A three-month-long trial in B.C. Supreme Court was avoided with Kovacs' guilty plea. During the sentencing, the court heard how Kovacs tortured his victims before killing them. Kovacs confined, stabbed, burned, and beat Robinson in a trailer near Shawnigan Lake in May of 2007. Robinson 
was left to die under a tarp as revenge for allegedly stealing Kovacs truck. One year later, Kovacs was angered by Leesk for spending $5,000 he gave him to start a marijuana grow up. He apparently spent the money. He hung Leesk upside down and beat him over a period of several days before smothering him with a plastic bag. His body was dumped in the ocean off of Campbell River. The Lude's body was found in December of 2008 in an abandoned commercial building, a former bakery. In the fall of 2008, the Lude was shot in the stomach by a friend of Kovacs in a garage in Campbell River. He was wrapped in plastic while still alive and his body was placed in the back of a pickup truck tool box. Those large toolbox that are you know, placed in the back of a pickup truck, his body was stuffed in there. His body was found in December of 2008 in an abandoned building owned by a company of one of Kovacs' wealthy lady friends who was a widow. One week after Delude's body was found, Kovacs was discovered in a Campbell River motel room in possession of a loaded handgun. He was arrested and charged with weapon offenses. In June of 2007, Kovacs led police on a wild goose chase in Victoria that resulted in eight auto accidents. Kovacs plead guilty to several charges stemming from that incident and received one year in jail, but he was given a credit for pre-trial custody of seven and a half months. Justice Williams set parole at 23 years because he took in an account of Kovacs' guilty plea, which allowed the families to avoid testifying life in prison with no possibility of parole for 23 years for the second-degree murder of two men. Mr. Kovacs' acts were the manifestation of incomprehensible evil, B.C. Supreme Court Justice James Williams said in sentencing him for the killing of Kenneth Robinson, 45, a disabled homeless man from Nanaimo, and Kenneth Leesk, a 44-year-old man from Powell River, B.C. In my view, that this offender and these offenses are the rare cases that would warrant the imposition of maximum periods of parole in ineligibility, said Williams. However, Williams considered Kovacs' guilty plea which spared the victim's family from having to testify, which was expected to be a 10-week long trial. He imposed a 23-year period of parole ineligibility instead of the maximum 25 years, which the prosecution had asked for. Kovacs admitted to confining, torturing, and killing Robinson in May 2007 after the homeless man drove off with his truck and stole a few items from his trailer in the Shawnigan Lake area, Kovacs admitted to torturing, beating, burning, smothering Kenneth Leesk 
in the fall of 2008. Leesk, whom he met in jail, he gave Leesk $5,000 to start a marijuana grow up. And Leesk apparently spent the money instead. Kovacs pleaded guilty to manslaughter for his involvement in the death of October 2008 of Luke DeLude, a friend from the Vancouver Island Correctional Center. The Quebec man was shot in the stomach by Kovacs' friend Robert Cook. Both men wrapped DeLude's body in plastic while he was still alive. His body was found in an old bakery on the waterfront property in Campbell River two months later. Leesk was sentenced to concurrent sentence of 11 years for manslaughter death of Delu. Although the victims had seen their share of troubles in life and the law, they were members of our society and they had families. They were loved by others. They deserved the basic dignity in which Kovacs' actions denied them, said Justice Williams. Their lives were taken cruelly and disposed of. Heavy security was in place for the hearing. As William pronounced sentencing, Leesk, youngest daughter, screamed in the courtroom calling Kovacs a fucking goof. You killed my fucking dad. Outside the court, an emotional brother of Lee's read a prepared statement saying his brother Kenneth was a good man with a sparkling personality, a love for jokes and laughter. Leesk is survived by his three daughters, two brothers, and his parents. When I told my mom of Kenneth's death, she said, why would anyone want to hurt Kenny? He didn't have a malicious bone in his body, the brother recalled. It's hard enough to lose someone, but to have them taken, tortured for days, his body dumped in the ocean is unbearable. Every time my dad hits his thumb with a hammer or cuts himself, he thinks of the pain and the suffering his son endured. Psychopaths like Kovac should never go free, said his brother. Darcy Kovacs confined and tortured Kenneth Robinson, a disabled homeless man from Nanaimo, in his trailer for two days in May of 2007 before leaving him mangled but still breathing under a tarp near Shawnigan Lake. That gruesome fact was revealed in BC Supreme Court. On a side note, speaking with Tamara's friend, she told me that apparently that Darcy used cigar cutters and was cutting pieces of his fingers off. Prosecutor, Crown Counsel, David Fitzsimmons asked Justice James William to pose a life sentence with no possibility of parole for 25 years. Fitzsimmons read an 11-page statement of agreed-upon facts into the court record detailing 
the gruesome details of what happened to these three men. The court heard that Robinson lived on the street, panhandling, reading tarot cards for a living. His nickname was Hippie. He also had a, a dog that was his companion named Angel. Robertson met Kovacs in 2007 and read Kovacs tarot cards. In return, Kovacs gave him money, jewelry, including a gold ring. Kovacs invited Robertson to party in his trailer and they drove to Shawnigan Lake. While at the party, Kovacs went off with one of his lady friends, a wealthy Campbell River widow. Robertson stole things out of Kovacs' trailer and left the party in Kovacs' truck. Kovacs was angry about his missing truck and told people he would harm Robertson. On May 11th, Kovacs found Robertson in Nanaimo with the help of two women friends. One of the women being Tamara, but Tamara thought they were all going to go to a party and she had no idea about the gruesome murder that was going to take place. They lured him into a trailer and for two days, Kovacs tortured Robinson, wrapping. He wrapped wire and bound his wrist and ankles, stringing him up, beating him over the head with his walking aid and burning him with a lighter. There was blood all over the trailer. The court heard that Kovacs drove to Shawnigan Lake with Robinson tied up in the trailer. On his way, he stopped at the Nanaimo airport and called a friend. He asked if he wanted to hear Hippie on fire. Then he burnt Robinson. When Kovacs arrived at Shawnigan Lake, his friend told him to get the freak show out of his driveway. But Kovacs said he wasn't leaving until his friend looked at Robinson. Robinson was laying on the floor groaning. Kovacs stomped him in the head. The friend told police. One witness told police that Robinson was so mangled he didn't even look human anymore. Kovacs threw the severely mutilated Robinson down the bank at Kapar Hill, about 17 kilometers from Shawnigan Lake, and left him to die. His skeleton was found in August 9th of 2007. Kovacs met Luke Dilude 40 in prison in 2008 and invited him to stay at the beach house belonging to his wealthy widow, lady friend, which had an old bakery used for storage. The Lude agreed to move to Campbell River, but Kovacs started to believe that the Lude was ripping him off, said Fitzsimmons. The court heard that Kovacs and his friend Robert Cook planned for a week to kill Dalu in early October of 2008, in which they were in a garage when Dalud arrived. Cook shot Dalud in the stomach, and he and Kovacs wrapped Dalud in plastic 
while he was still breathing. They stuffed Delude's body in a large metal pickup truck box before they had a chance to dispose of his body. Later, they dropped Delude's body off at the bakery. Rumors begin to spread about Delude's killing. A bad odor at the old bakery was getting worse. In December of 2008, the RCMP executed a search warrant and found Delude's remained. Kovacs fled Campbell River. Kenneth Leask, 44, of Powell River, was in custody with Kovacs at Vancouver Island Regional Correctional Center in 2008. They made plans to start a marijuana grow-up, said Fitzsimmons. Leask. Kovacs gave Leask $5,000 for the grow-up, but Leask blew the money. When Kovacs spotted Kenneth while driving the truck with the lewd's body still in the back, he and Cook went after him, knocking Leask unconscious. The two men took Leask to the garage on the property, strung him upside down, and beat him with a hammer and a crowbar. At one point, they told Leask, hey, you can leave. He limped up to the end of the driveway, but fell because his ankles were broken, said Fitzsimmons. A car pulled over and a couple offered Leask assistance, but then Kovacs and Cook came out of the garage and said, hey, that their friend was drunk and they'll look after him. So after beating him for 48 hours straight, they put a plastic bag over his head to put him out of his misery. Kovacs, defense lawyer named Jim Heller said, we conceded the terribleness of the facts. They speak for themselves. But he cautioned Justice James William, who presided over the serial killer Robert Picton's murder trial, not to be overwhelmed by the brutality of Kovacs' crime. There is a distinction between first-hand, second-degree murder, said Heller, and this case does not warrant the maximum sentence of life in prison with no eligibility of parole for 25 years. Heller asked Williams to accept Kovacs' guilty plea and consider Kovacs' remorse and impose a life sentence with no possibility of parole for 20 years. He's very ashamed and he feels terrible about these murders. He's asked me to express that, Heller said. Although the, the defense lawyer painted a portrait of Kovacs from his early years, they contained no hint of explanation for the gruesomeness of his crimes he committed. Kovacs grew up in Vancouver Island. After graduation, he moved to Campbell River, where his father lived and worked in construction, roofing, and fish farming. Kovacs enrolled in an apprenticeship program for mechanics. He was an industrial young kid, just trying to find his way in the world, he had well-paying jobs with benefits and security. 
Kozak became a mechanic and began working on machinery in different logging camps. He developed an interest in tree falling and put his mechanical career on hold. Kovat worked in logging camps from Haida Gwaii Island for eight to ten years. He had healthy legal pastimes, said his lawyer. Kovac's life Kozak's life started to unravel when his relationship with his girlfriend broke down. His spirit weakened. He became depressed and never recovered. Although he was close to his father, Kozak became increasingly estranged from his family. His life wasn't that good. He was struggling with personal relationships and continued to slip in a depressed state, said his lawyer. Kozak started using drugs and became, began a relationship with his wealthy widow girlfriend. His character went to ruin. Heller said he became unable to work safely. He became unreliable, unstable, a cold shell of a man. So in this podcast, I wanted to really highlight what a monster that Tamara got involved with unwillingly. And now when you put in perspective the monstrous crimes that he was able to commit and her disappearance and on the surface, a refusal to investigate her disappearance. Something doesn't add up. So this is going to be a multi-part podcast. As I find more information, I will compile it and hopefully get some answers. So what I'm going to ask you, the listening audience, if you are have any information about Tamara or knew her, please send it to my Instagram page, Vancouver True Crime, or now I have a Facebook page of Vancouver True Crime, which I just put together yesterday. Because I really am curious to the answers here. And uh, in the next podcast, I am going to break down Oh, what is a missing person's case? What is the legalities and what are the responsibility and who can file a missing person's case? So I think that's an important piece because this could happen to anyone. A lot of people move to another town where they have no family and maybe some people, especially older people, might not have family alive. And it is shocking that someone could basically fall through the cracks and then the system in place doesn't seem to do anything about this. So hopefully, if you care about this as much as I do, which you probably do because you're listening to this podcast, it's important to understand what happened and why are they not looking for Tamara? 
Hopefully we can find that out. So, it is 4.14 a.m. as I record this. So, as you can imagine, I'm pretty tired. Um, I'd like to also talk a little bit quickly about the Vancouver True Crime Podcast, why I haven't done a podcast in a long time, and a little bit what's going on with me. My, I've been putting a lot of energy into my social media because I think it's an important way to um, build a platform and hopefully the bigger your social media platform is, is when you put out information, you're going to go to a wider audience. So some people have been following me from the beginning and I truly appreciate that. But in the last four months or so, my following specifically on Instagram has has really exploded. I, I've only had the Instagram page for about a year, and now I'm getting close to 11,000 followers, and I really appreciate that. So there's a lot of people who probably follow me on Instagram but never really listen to my podcast or don't really know much about me. And I know I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but 2020... 2020 has been a very tragic year for me. Not only did my children lose their mother, but I also lost my partner and my wife for close to 12 years. And of course, there's, it was a massive impact dealing with that. And I also myself suffer from post-traumatic stress from all the events that led up to my wife's death. Now, I've never had anyone in my life go missing but I do truly understand to have um, to understand what it feels like to have someone you love and care about basically overnight be gone from your life. So I do emphasize with people who have loved ones that have gone missing, vanish with no answers. And it's a true passion of mine. So in the beginning of my true crime podcast, I was going to focus on... Um, the gang activity in Vancouver because I found it very a fascinating phenomenon for lack of a better term uh, in my earlier career when my young man when in my 20s and third well not more and more closer to my uh, in my 20s I worked a lot in nightclubs I grew up in East Vancouver and I knew a lot of people that were gangsters and and were criminals for lack of a better term just call it what it is and and I was very always kind of fascinated by the world without getting involved in it. So I always had this fascination and with it. But a lot of these cases are still ongoing, and I truly believe it's probably not a great idea to really get entangled with it and reporting on it. And I actually would personally kind of find it dangerous to talk about criminal organization and mention names and so forth. So I'm going to really steer away from that. And also too, I, I also found it hard to really tell the story. I'm not a journalist. I am not. And I don't ever, and I have no intention of being one. And I don't have um, real insight to what life is like in the criminal underworld currently. So I find it very difficult 
really trying to tell the story. And that's really, truly what I am. I'm an advocate for missing people. I, ha I like to tell personal stories about Vancouver and stuff. If you listen to my earlier podcast, I, I share a lot of my personal experiences and stories, which I'll continue to do. But the focus of Vancouver True Crime Podcast is going to be a lot about missing people. I'm going to focus on different geographic areas of British Columbia where there's large clusters of missing people. There's a lot of missing people on Vancouver Island. There's a lot of missing people in the downtown east side. There's a lot of missing people in Vancouver. There's a highway of tears and this in general. And since COVID, I've noticed a massive spike of missing people. I get sent so many cases to post every day. I could probably post a missing person case that that takes place in BC over the last decade. Probably, I could probably post one every hour there's so many of them like i almost can't keep track of them and and the other thing that i want to touch on too is um i get a lot of people sending me stuff and i really truly appreciate that and and sometimes they want me to call out people that are call it what it is they're scumbags but it's difficult because even though I truly believe the terrible things they've done. They've never been convicted in a court case. So me saying it or putting it on my platform puts my platform at risk because it can be misconstrued of me harassing or bullying someone. If it's someone doing something terrible and there's a clear cut of it and they're going to court and they've been tried and there's, they've been sentenced, then it's easy to report on the facts. But... But unfortunately, in a lot of these cases where, say, someone's victimizing women, either by sexual assault or abuse, but none of these women, which I truly understand why, because they're intimidated by the court system and it's long and it's, and it's a very laborious system. These cases can go on for years. And, and sometimes people don't want to don't want want it to consume their life so they don't testify for a variety of reasons but then they'll send me the information and want me to post it right so please still send me information i truly appreciate that and i'll do everything i i can to help but i also have to be careful too because you know rules are of such on instagram and other social media that if, if they feel that I'm harassing or bullying or slander, all my work to build it up won't help anybody if my page gets taken down. So my plans for uh, Vancouver True Crime is to continue to make podcasts, which I'm going to be doing regularly. I needed to take a break from it for a couple of reasons. I did a real deep dive of Clifford Olson and I was going to do a part two series, but there were certain aspects of it that bothered me because I couldn't find out any information about his wife, Joan Hale, which is still mystifying that I can't find that information out. And also, too, the, the nature of the crimes and reading about these cases, it really disturbed me. And also, also um, 
still being quite traumatized from my wife's death and then really going into a deep dive into Clifford Robin Olson, which is one of the worst serial killers of children in BC, was probably not a good timing. And it did kind of mess me up and I needed a, a break from the monstrous types of crimes. So I decided to take a break from podcasting and really focus on my um, social media and stuff, right? But I'm in a good place now. I've done a lot of grief counseling and I'm in a great place and I'm really excited about doing podcasts again and really highlighting some of these really bizarre, strange cases that need attention like Tamara. So um, I truly apologize for taking such a long break, but I hope you understand under my circumstances. Um, I also... Uh, and that was in the process of making t-shirts, but I sold my house and I'm going to be moving in the new year. And I was actually building a area to do the print shop because I want to make the shirts myself by buying a heat press and all the equipment. But I decided to hold off until the new year until I have my new place and a new setup so I can do that. I, I truly, if I'm going to make a product just the way that my personality is, is I want to make sure that they're highly quality. And plus, I think I'll enjoy the skill of making t-shirts. So that will be the, the thing that I'll do to help support the podcast. And then with that, um, I want to do more video, which I'm finally made a YouTube page, which I haven't done any videos yet. But my my long term vision is to do podcast, uh, build my social media on different platforms, uh, make the T-shirts right do do the T-shirt business at home. And then I actually want to be able to raise enough money so I can actually do some quality video production that that I believe that of uh, cases that need to be highlighted, like Highway of Tears um, all these missing people on Vancouver Island. And and I really am making an effort of getting to know the people involved and getting them to hear their testimonies and their stories. So I'm getting firsthand accounts of the people that are affected by these awful, tragic cases. So I am going to bed. I had a long day with my children. And I truly appreciate you listening and hopefully... With me, we can find some answers of what happened to Tamara. Thank you so much. Have a great night.